walking this journey with Wally. And it is such an honor to be a part of a community of faith that is brave enough to do this. Y'all are brave and fierce in God's love, and I'm grateful for you. So um, thanks, Chris. Chris isn't just the dad of an adorable little toddler. He's also um, the director of uh, Underground Ministries, and so we're glad to have him in that capacity today. Thanks. Yeah, the, today's the Sunday where we're going to do something during coffee, and then it turned into ice cream, which is great. It sounds kind of like a gospel parable of celebration and welcoming home. And then and Bethany said, hey, would you want to, to, to preach as well? I thought, well, you guys might get tired of my voice because I'll be speaking downstairs with everyone. Um, but I can see with those gospel readings why it was a hot potato. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but I'm, I'm grateful for it because um, I've grown up in the church. I've heard those passages over and over and over again. How many of you have heard those passages before? Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I, uh, wrestling with them, given the context of what I do, I work with folks who are locked up, and I love most of them. Some of them are real knuckleheads, and I have a hard time getting along with them. But most of them, it's, it's my love and connection with them that's connected me with God's heart. And so in the context of talking about this today, the whole Sermon on the Mount, I just saw it from the backside, and I want to share. Maybe you all can see it differently with me as well. So right there in those passages in Matthew 5, 21 through 37, uh, a lot of stuff's covered. We've got some murder, murder, adultery, divorce, fraud, offerings at the altar. We've got courts, punishments, debt, collectors. I'm like, man, the Sermon on the Mount is full of everything I deal with every week. I hadn't thought about this. Um, and normally when I, when I hear th- those kind of turns that Jesus is making, right, you've heard it said, murder, not cool. But I say, even if you're angry in your heart. And normally how I think I've heard that, maybe the logic you've, you've all heard it with me as well your whole life is, okay, this is bad, y'all suck, but everyone else who thought you didn't suck, you suck too is kind of a way that can hear it. Like, you know, this is bad, but even in your heart is bad. And so it kind of doubles, it's like raises the bar, kind of doubles the condemnation in a lot of our hearts. Does that make sense? I'm sorry if saying suck is a bad word. I, I, I've heard even worse ones in the prison, so my, my standards are a little off. Okay, um, and so I think there's a leveling of the bar, right? But I think normally if we come with an imagination that God is judging, and Jesus sounds pretty, pretty harsh here. It sounds like bad news, actually. Like, well, I at least like the idea that maybe I can do good and not be condemned. But now it sounds like we're all condemned. And I grew up in a pretty, uh, uh, a certain theological tradition where it's definitely who God was. Does, does anyone relate to that kind of a message when you hear this? Like, hey, you thought you were okay? Nope. <laughs> um, and I, I wonder if what Jesus is actually doing is he's taking a really harsh hammer and he's just hammering away at that wall between us and them. That, that's already in there between us that says, hey, we're cool and they're not. And that's a scary wall to have that. I mean, most walls are scary to have broken down because no, now if we're all in the same pool of being bad or being screwed, that's really bad news. But if Jesus is saying y'all are screw ups, how does Jesus treat screw ups? We've got four gospel accounts, forensic accounts of who this guy hung out with and what he did with them. How did Jesus hang out with prostitutes? What did, what did he do with them? What about tax collectors? They were terrible. 
They would take their cut and they would extortion your family and terrify you. They would sell out your kids to the Roman guard like that. He hung out with these guys. And what did he do with them? Shared meals. What else? Forgave them. He talked to them in public. Talked to them in public. Yeah, so if Jesus is saying to the religious folks, hey, you are on the same level with these guys, and I love these guys. You get it? It's a little different. If we're all on the same level and we're dealing with a terrifying judgmental deity, that's scary. And it makes us want to hide even more. Oh, now not only do I need to hide my behavior, I need to hide my thoughts. And I think a lot of us in Protestantism can really get into this from a negative way. And we can really even hide from ourselves who we are. But what if Jesus is saying, I'm hammering away at this wall. You're not that different than these folks who I'm already eating with and I delight in them and I enjoy their presence. You guys are pissing me off because you think that you're better than them. So can we just get over this lame game and we can all enjoy being sinners totally endured by God and enjoyed by God? You buy it? Is maybe the harshness of this directed at these walls between us and these walls we have in our heads? He's just hammering at this wall because he's tired of it because he wants us to just enter into the love he's already experiencing with the worst of sinners. All right, it's quiet. You don't buy it yet. Um, uh, it's, it's, what's that? It's, it's all right. The, Re- the Reformation had its perks and it has its downsides. Um, what's happening here is, is I think Jesus is inviting us into kinship with those on the other side of the law. And that's, that's part of what's happening here with the Sermon on the Mount. We, we, I liked how Bethany, a few weeks ago, she was up there. Uh, we could illustrate something's important up on a mount. But if in a Jewish audience, when they hear about teachings on a mount, what are they thinking? Moses and the Ten Commandments. Right. And then all those murder, divorce, adultery, those come from where? Right. And so that, the, 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 bleh, the writers of Matthew's gospel are the most attuned to Jewish tradition. And they're setting Jesus' teaching as the new Moses. So they're saying, this is the new teaching on the mount. And Jesus is saying, you've heard this. It's a really nice understatement to be like, central part of your scripture. He's just treating that gently as like gossip that we're done with. You've heard this, but I say and so this is the new Moses. This is the new Sinai. These are the new commandments. Is hammering away at these, these, these walls. And he's inviting us into a, a new kinship, I believe. Is there a slide with them? Uh, okay, well, that's the title. You like that picture? My friend drew that on the wall. <laughs> he sells oil paintings in Vancouver uh, galleries now. But he drew that on the wall in an apartment we used to live in. Can you go back? I love that so much. I framed, I framed it. I took a picture and it has, it's framed in my office right now. And I love it. I wanted to get a tattoo of it because that's what I felt is that there's this fierce, loving embrace of those who are suffering, suffering, hurting themselves and others. And the closer I get to that mess right there, the closer that invisible love of God's spirit that I want when I sing worship songs that I want when I go on prayer retreats. Like I want to get close to that love and that's been my experience going into the jail. And so I want to give you this quote. Let's jump forward again. Sorry to make you do PowerPoint after that is um, this quote by Father Greg Boyle. Does someone want to read this nice and loud? I'll turn on the mic to it. Okay. The truest measure of compassion lies not in our 
service to those on the margins, but in our willingness to see ourselves in kinship with them. Can someone else read that? Let's hear it three times, three different voices. This is new for us. The truest measure of compassion lies not in our service to those on the margins, but in our willingness to see ourselves in kinship with them. One more from the back. So Father Greg Bull, he works with like 30 years of most gang members in the Los Angeles area. He's a real hero of mine. And I like that because even service can still have that us or them. It's just a nicer us, us and them, right? Like, hey, you're, you're kind of a mess and you're so broken and we want to help. But, or we want to be of service. But there's an even riskier thing is when we see ourselves in kinship. And that was my experience in the jail for the, it's right here, Skagit County Jail for the first uh, at least 10 or so years of going in there. The first year, like I had just come out of, I was at a, a really nice school in California in college, but I'd been suicidal, so I wasn't doing so great. And that was a nice wake-up call that my grades were all right, but I wasn't all right. Um, and when I came up to the jail to study theology and guys wanted to meet one-on-one, it was in this tiny little lawyer room holding hands with guys. that I didn't even go in there planning on holding hands. They just wanted a pastor visit. And I found conversations where there were tears, where there were laughter, where they wanted prayer. And as I'm holding these guys' hands, the kind of hands that uh, had done all sorts of stuff, uh, kind of hands of the folks that I've been raised in my kind of evangelical suburban upbringing to avoid being around. You know, I was told that you can tell a lot about someone by the company they keep. You ever heard that, that one? Well, Jesus sure turns that on his head, doesn't he? Um, and so holding these hands, I felt... I have wrote it down here, a kind of flood of invisible tenderness and adoration. I don't know where it came from. I just met the dude 20 minutes earlier. And I felt a kind of love and joy for, I don't know if it was I was loving God or if I loved this person or if I was feeling God's love for them as we prayed. And they started to like love God and they, didn't, they weren't even religious and they were an atheist 10 minutes earlier. And, and I had my doubts. And so I, I had this, first off, this joy that I'd never felt before. And I was a worship leader in my evangelical church growing up. Um, electric guitar and everything. Um, and I tried really hard to feel these beautiful words we sang. Um, but I felt it in a jail when there was no soundtrack going on. And so it's something about being close to these folks that I was entering into an invisible embrace I'd always read about. And, and I didn't know if it was, like I was saying, like if it was God loving me or if it was God's love for this guy and I just got to be the conduit. But I actually came away feeling like full of life and full of joy, like skipping down the jail steps most night. Um, not exaggerating. I was like, yeah, I've been just really happy. You kind of catch yourself skipping a little bit. You want to go get ice cream and call your friends and stay out late because you just don't want to go to bed because you're in a good mood. Every night when I left the jail, it was like that. And so I started to realize that little confusion I had about that kind of triangle shape. Was it me loving him? Was it him loving me? What was it that I can get used to that, the, the mystery of that, that triangle? Can we go to the next one? Um... I had fun with PowerPoint last night. Um, that, that, that confusion, I tried in kind of like creative writing to get it. Uh, I was trying in charismatic spirituality to understand why I felt in there what everyone else was talking about at charismatic conferences or in their prayer times. I felt it in there. And that's what hooked me into the jail. It's not trying to help inmates. Let's go to the next one. And so I'm getting more comfortable with kind of mystical art 
that lays out, maybe this is not just the Trinity, meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But what if that's the shape of all divine love? Because later on, Jesus talks to his disciples in John's gospel about, you know, I want you to be in me as I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, and I want you to be one. And he kind of creates that nutrient triangle. But it's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's like Father, Jesus, us. You with me? And so you can kind of find these triangles everywhere as if just one-to-one love is really not how God works. But it's always getting wrapped into kind of a bingo thing like this where the circuit of love starts flowing. And I wonder if that's something we can start not being surprised by, but seeking. And so I want to push you into our main metaphor we always use with underground ministries, which is the Lazarus story. Um, We frame what we do in underground ministries as practicing resurrection. As Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, and then he invites a community to come roll away the stone and undo the death wrappings, But in in context of preparing for this sermon, I'm like, bingo, there's the triangle again. Jesus loves Lazarus. There's that divine love thing. And I think that the old model would say, all you need is Jesus. Or God's going to do it on his own. And he probably could. Jesus is always also raising the dead, speaking into the tomb, into the realm of the dead. But then he kind of like wants to have us enter the embrace. He he gets a community. Come on over here. I I want you to roll away the stone. What, I'm guessing something happened in that community when they rolled away that big ancient barrier between the living and the dead. What do you think was happening inside of the community that came close to roll away the stone? Fear. Fear? What's that? Apprehension. Apprehension? But hope, too. something wonderful will happen. Okay. Little, little fear, hope that can kind of be on that razor's edge. Yeah. What else might that have been feeling? They could have been like, no, Jesus, you got it. (laughs) Confusion? Yeah. Mystery. Mystery. Do you think that some of those things that they had to confront rolling away the stone might be the very things between them and their prayer life and feeling God's love? So that actually getting involved to roll away the stone, they might be opening up something in themselves? But how do you do that when they're internal? So I think Jesus invites us into these participations where our own spiritual life can happen, that it maybe doesn't just happen in our quiet time. That's how we can practice it, maybe, and reflect on it. Um, and so I'm wondering if even when, when Lazarus comes out, he's all wrapped up like a mummy, right? And so we use that metaphor in underground ministries to talk about the inner healing stuff. If the stones are the societal barriers, the courts, driver's license, which is really hard to get back, all the debts, collections, uh, housing applications. Those are the stones to roll away. What if the Lazarus wrappings are kind of like the interpersonal stuff? Hatred, violence, gang identity, mistrust, drug addiction, manipulation, all these kind of barriers. How, does, how do the death wrappings come off? Hmm? Sorry, this is kind of a pop quiz. That wasn't on the reading today. It's in John 11. <laughs> What, what, what's that, Char? Oh, I just said one layer. One layer at a time? And he invites the community to do it. He doesn't say, hey, Lazarus, come on, let's get that off. We don't need that anymore, man. He t- invites the community to get even closer. It's like, oh, we rolled away the stone. Now we've got to get close. And you smell them. And you see his eyes start to emerge from under the, the layers. I imagine something happened in them as well. And so I wonder if that, that triangle is how God works, that he invites us into entering that embrace. He already loves Lazarus. He wept. Jesus like publicly wept. He loves this dude. He wants to like move heaven and earth and stones in the realm of living the dead because he wants his body back. 
says he's his friend. He wants his buddy back, but he wants to get us into that embrace. And so I wonder if that's what's happening in the Sermon on the Mount. Is he saying, I want you to enter my kinship that I have with some of the worst sinners in this community. And I want to roll away the stone of these old ways of thinking so that you can step into this embrace like my friend Troy drew on the walls. Oh, 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 uh, on the walls. Someone said when during the children's sermon, um, she leaned over and whispered to me um, when we were talking about drawing on the wall. She's like, my son did that, but he did it underneath the tables. And he signed his name. And I thought, that's so perfect. That's what church people do. You know, like, we do the same stuff. We just hide it better. Right? And I think Jesus is saying, you do the same thing, man, whether you're doing it out loud or under the tables, whether you're doing it in your, under the table of your heart, you're a, you're a stinker just like the other guy. And I love stinkers. That's our word we use with Abram. There's a little bit of affection, less, less stigma. Someone pissing me off. Sorry. Um, and so I want to welcome you to our time this morning. There's only a few people in this church that became part of the One Parish, One Prisoner team, OPOP, OPOP team. And we think about when you want a whole community embrace one person, that's a little awkward. So you start with five people, almost like when you meet someone with five fingers of a hand, you can shake their hand first, right? But eventually, you'd really like to bring them into that embrace. And so this team has been like a hand that's reached out and over the last few months with letters and phone calls, made that connection with someone new and created that, that trust. But really, you guys are the larger body we'd like to wrap into the embrace and to come and hear some of the stories and let it move you as well. Will you come? We're going to interrupt your normal coffee conversation. I'm sorry. Um, but one more word on that then. Whoever felt that that cutting off your hand, throwing into fire stuff was a little uncomfortable. How many of you is that like your favorite passage and it's cross-stitched above your toilet? What's that? What if this? And I need to go back and read the commentaries and play with the theologians in the Greek. But normally, God gives you the insight first, and then you play the theology game to realize you're not crazy. Um, that what if Jesus, as Paul does in some of his letters, is flipping it? What if Jesus is not saying the kingdom of heaven is like that? But as Paul often does, he's almost lampooning or Saturday night living how, re- how judgmental we can be. And we didn't invent parody. That's ancient. Jewish culture is very good at parody. Um, What if what he's saying is this is what you guys do. You're so afraid of condemnation that you're even cutting off members of your own social body so that you don't have to to feel pain or hurt judgment. And that's what we do in our communities. We cut off our hands and our legs. We cut off our community members. And what if Jesus, I mean, if he was saying in a threatening way, it it would clash with his whole sermon. Step back and look at the whole flow of his argument. For me, it suddenly makes sense sitting down there with the kids, which is probably where God should speak to us. Is, is Jesus' lampooning? Again. You cut things off. You can maybe put it in quotation marks. Does this sound crazy? But maybe Jesus isn't playing the same dumb religious game that got him killed, but he's flipping it. And he's saying, you guys are cutting off your own community members. This, these people, prostitutes, tax collectors that you point the finger at, they're not a disease. They're you. And how... What an unhealthy social body is hacking off their own hands and feet. Come to the doctor. Be whole and be made whole together. So I don't know. That's what's preaching inside of me this morning. Maybe it'll last with you all. So I want you to come down this morning and hear about Shirley, who even isn't here this morning, and her motherly tears in, in her first letters with Wally.
hear about Pastor Bethany, who now has pastor, uh, inmate letters on her pastor's desk, which I think is great. Allison, in her amazing organizational startup gifts, got us going, but then asked profound questions early on about, wait a minute, we have some domestic violence charges here. Is this, do we need to think about protecting our church from some very real history of wrongdoing? And the conversation, I just felt like I think about it all the time, and I'll I should talk with you more and take out for a coffee again and thank you, is the flip happened in our conversation of, well, maybe we do, but then it got us talking about how much violence in the church, violence in the home, has happened in those of us in the church. And it's just writing underneath the tables. We don't talk about it. And how much does God want to heal of our experiences of domestic violence that have happened, or violence in the home and churches? And we're never going to talk about it over coffee hour until maybe the gift of entering the embrace with someone coming home with, from prison with a domestic violence charge is how God wraps us into the healing that maybe we all need. And so Allison then led us into having a domestic violence training in the church, which maybe all churches need. So to see how this mutual transformation can really be good news for all of us, thank you, Allison. Here's hear from Nate. Hear from Tony, uh, uh, Wally's brother. He got wrapped into the embrace, and now we get to be loved on by Tony's gifts and his joy, as well as there's ways that we can support our brother as well. And so this embrace, we get wrapped into the, the larger embrace, and we find that, that kind of kinship. That it's, the blinds really start blurring who's helping who, or who's the one being cut off from who. But we, 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 we become whole together. So come and join us. And I want to just end with uh, the Corinthians line today. 1 Corinthians 1.9 was our gospel reading. Because as we do one parish, one prisoner, we, we get so excited, but we can also forget that that doesn't mean it's all always going to be a happy ending. Our brother might still really deal with a lot of fear and a lot of pain and might disappear after a few weeks or go back to the shadows of Hades and the underground. We don't know. Our goal is not to be, have successful projects. Father Greg also says success is kind of a, antithetical to the gospel. But we're called to be faithful, and that's the passage. In 1 Corinthians, it says, God is faithful by him you were called into fellowship. That's what we're talking about this morning. Entering that embrace. By him, it's about faithfulness, not about success. God is faithful. By him you were called. You all, BLC, were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, who we also call Lord. Let's pray. just want to give some quiet for God to talk to you. Thank you for doing whatever it takes to roll away stones and to hammer away at that divide between us so we all have room in your embrace. Help us be attentive to that mystery and that triangle happening when it happens. We can lean into it even more. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
and also with you. Let us give signs of peace to one another. Peace be Thank you. 